Welcome to the Future of Risk podcast at Zurich North America. I'm Renee Koa. As diversity and inclusion become increasingly important for organizations around the world, a new global benchmark is helping companies of all sizes fully integrate D&I in their business plans. Joining us today to discuss the benefits is Julia Oldmans, Assistant Vice President of Employment Law at Zurich. Julia, welcome. Hi, Renee. I'm so glad to be here. In May, the International Organization for Standardization, better known as ISO, released a set of standards for diversity and inclusion, better known as D&I. ISO is an independent global organization that develops a wide range of business standards. Julia, can you explain why its D&I standard is such welcome news? Well, as we know, Renee, nearly every organization is grappling right now with how to make progress on diversity, inclusion, also equity and belonging. But as you said, we can kind of refer to that as DNI for short. Um, and so this new ISO standard provides a framework for embedding DNI across an organization's processes and their systems, their policies. You know, before this, there really wasn't any kind of standard that you could measure DNI against. Okay, I get that. Um, now, DNI has been something companies have been pursuing for a long time, but the civil unrest since 2020 created additional urgency. So I wondered if you would outline some of the benefits this standard will give companies. Yes, I mean, it really provides a more rigorous analytical model than previously existed. You know, as you said, I'm an employment lawyer. That's my training and experience. And I've been working with diversity and inclusion teams for, for a number of years, um, but we didn't really have an analytical approach or a clear framework that we could use to analyze how we were doing from a diversity and inclusion perspective. And so this is great from a risk perspective, having a defined standard allows companies to be able to do their own self-assessment. It also allows um, you to be able to see where you have more work that you need to do. It allows you to kind of break down the different aspects of diversity and inclusion and deconstruct that into uh, achievable and measurable steps that you can take. So it's just uh, so helpful and we really didn't have anything that really defined the DNI process in this way before. So so with this more rigorous model, could you outline some specific areas that ISO is helping companies measure themselves against? Yeah, so as I said, you know, the ISO standard is helping businesses be able to embed the diversity and inclusion across so many areas of their organization and providing guidance and methods to approach First of all, do you have sort of the prerequisites in place? Do you have kind of the foundation in place um, so that you can demonstrate an ongoing commitment to diversity and inclusion? And then do you have the accountabilities and the responsibilities? Who's responsible for diversity and inclusion in your organization? Do you have the right accountabilities to make sure that things are being followed through on? And then are you uh, valuing diversity? Are you fostering that development of an, an inclusive workplace? You know, what are the cultural aspects? What uh, kind of um, actions are taking place that are really fostering that kind of an environment? And then the standard also helps you identify diversity and inclusion objectives, opportunities, also 
the measures and outcomes. Again, we talked about being able to measure how you're doing and being able to measure whether you're seeing the outcomes that you intend. That is, again, so helpful. And, and those are some of the types of things that the standard, the ISO standard gives you the methods and the processes to be able to do that. Wow, it sounds really comprehensive. And from what I've read, these standards are scalable, right? So they could be adapted to any size business? Yes, absolutely. I mean, for a small or a mid-sized organization that maybe doesn't have the resources to hire a dedicated diversity and inclusion professional inside of their organization, this could still give them a starting point, right? To be able to identify who within the organization could have some of these accountabilities and responsibilities. So uh, the ISO standards can be that starting place upon which a smaller mid-sized organization could build, but it also could be for an organization that has been on a diversity and inclusion journey for, for a longer period of time. It could provide that sort of external validation of where there might be gaps or where you might have blind spots, right? Because for an organization that's been uh, working towards diversity and inclusion for a number of years, they still may not be seeing the progress that they would like to see. They still may not be seeing the outcomes. And so this standard gives them a way to, to look at what they're doing against an external benchmark and be able to say, where, where are we missing something? Where, where do we have a, a blind spot that we haven't addressed? And so it's really helpful whether you're at the beginning of your DNI journey or you're a little farther along in that journey. Yeah, and speaking of beginning journeys, I'm also thinking of startups because they're often launching business plans, often on a shoestring, but they can grow so quickly. Yes, and for, for any size company, on a technical level, the ISO standards are easier to audit against. So your internal audit function, you know, your audit team can look whether you have the measures and the controls in place to really be accountable and seeing progress. Um, so the other thing we're seeing is more and more companies are starting to ask their suppliers to sign on to diversity commitments and agree to annual surveys regarding the steps that their suppliers are taking to advance their uh, diversity and inclusion efforts. And so this ISO standard could actually give a more consistent framework that all organizations could measure themselves against rather than having, let's say, to respond to, you know, a variety of different surveys and questionnaires from all of your customers. You know, if you are an organization, right, that serves a variety of different customers, that could be pretty burdensome, right, to be answering all of these diversity and inclusion questionnaires and surveys from all of them. So uh, this new standard could provide a consistent framework, right, that everybody could use. And, and then you could, again, be able to get that data on, you know, how are my suppliers doing? Are they, you know, are they utilizing this framework? And what are the steps that they're taking to measure themselves against the, the ISO standard? Yeah, that streamlining sounds like it's a wonderful solution for sure. Now, Julia, before we dive into the specifics of the ISO standards, I'd like to step back a bit. One of the goals of promoting DNI is to build organizations that reflect the world around them. But I wondered if you would speak briefly about the very specific benefits for a company. Definitely, Renee. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the risk perspective, or at least right, we've just started <laughs> to talk about the risk perspective. But in addition to that, the research shows that companies that have a real diversity and inclusion commitment 
They have improved financial performance. They just are at the profitability reflects the diversity of thought, right? And that also relates to the innovation. The, the research shows that there's increased innovation at companies that have that diversity of thought in their leadership teams and have uh, diverse representation in their in their organization. And then you also have the greater engagement and, and loyalty of your staff when they feel like the culture, right, has that um, sense of inclusion and belonging and they feel like they can reach their full potential in that organization, right? And they're really valued um, for who they are and their authentic self. And that's so important right now because we are um, in a war for talent at, at this current moment. And so to be able to have an environment where you can really retain your current talent because they feel it's an inclusive uh, culture and environment. And then to give you that advantage to be able to attract new talent uh, to your organization because they can see and they learn about your commitment to diversity and inclusion. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I did want to ask, there aren't any laws mandating D&I per se, right? That's right. You know, you really won't see diversity and inclusion mentioned in any of the employment laws, for example. But problems with your diversity and inclusion efforts in your organization may indicate there is a larger problem of discrimination or a lack of equal opportunity in your company. So in today's litigation environment, it would be hard to successfully defend a discrimination charge or a lawsuit if your organization has not demonstrated a commitment to diversity and inclusion. Okay, and that brings me to my next question, which is what are the risks when a company um, kind of isn't stepping up to this? Yeah, absolutely. And I alluded to this a minute ago, right, that you can look at the benefits side, you can look at the increased financial performance, but of course, we also have to recognize and acknowledge that there is the risk side of it as well. And so you're depriving your organization of some of those benefits in terms of innovation and the war for talent. But we know, especially after the events of 2020 and the civil unrest that you mentioned, that there are huge reputational risks to an organization who is not demonstrating that they care about diversity and inclusion. We're seeing more attention at the board of directors level where the boards are asking about equity and social governance and diversity issues and looking to hold their the organization accountable for those things. We're also seeing shareholder derivative lawsuits that are on the rise related to a lack of commitment to DNI. And then as I mentioned, those requests that we're starting to see from more and more customers who are asking their suppliers to agree to a DNI commitment and to share progress on how they're meeting those objectives on DNI. So you may actually, as this progresses, you might actually lose customers if you cannot demonstrate that you can agree to those DNI commitments or that you're taking the necessary steps inside your organization to progress on those commitments, it may ultimately affect the, your customer's willingness to work with you as a vendor or supplier to them. Yeah, and I wanna touch on suppliers and vendors. You've uh, mentioned that you are especially excited that these ISO standards travel beyond human resources to help companies cast that wider net in embracing diversity and inclusion. That's right, Renee. That's one of the things I'm most excited about, about this, this new standard, actually. I've been working in this diversity and inclusion space for 14 years now. And as I look back over that time, 
we've primarily been talking about diversity and inclusion from an HR human resources perspective only. And now over the last couple of years, you're starting to see the discussion broaden. And so the great thing that the ISO standard does is it really tries to take a more holistic view of this DNI topic, which can help risk managers better integrate this into their total cost of risk because the ISO standard actually looks at four key areas. It, it really encourages companies to reflect on their diversity and inclusion efforts on four areas. So the life cycle, right, of human resources management is one of the areas, but the other areas are, as you mentioned, your procurement and your supply chain relationships. How is diversity and inclusion played out in how you're working with your suppliers? And then products and services, you know, are you considering diversity and inclusion in the design, the development, the delivery of whatever your core product and services are? And then the fourth area is external stakeholder relationships. So, you know, how are you thinking about your company's commitment to diversity and inclusion as it relates to the community where you work and, you know, the efforts that you have with again, um, community with your city, right, with your state, things like that. Like, what are those other stakeholders that, that you have in your organization and how does diversity and inclusion play into those relationships? Could you give me an example of expanding DNI in areas other than HR? Yes, for example, with respect to how your products are designed and marketed, that is one of the, again, those four key areas that the ISO standard covers. You know, are you designing and marketing your products with only certain consumers in mind? Are you missing other diverse markets? And perhaps there are some some things you could change in how you're designing your product in order to reach that more diverse market. Another example would be, what are those relationships in your community? Are you investing in efforts that provide greater opportunity to underrepresented groups in the, uh, let's say the locations, the neighborhoods, the communities, right, that surround some of your main locations? How are you investing in underrepresented groups in those communities? And then are you evaluating your procurement and supply chain processes in order to increase the diversity of the suppliers that you're using? Well, it sounds like this multifaceted approach is going to be helpful for companies that might be doing well in one area, but maybe they don't know how to incorporate DNI in say another, like their supply chain or their community outreach. But at a minimum, for companies with no formal DNI structure or companies that don't know where to start, could you share a couple of basic things they might do that could get them on a more structured path for DNI moving forward? Yes, well, we've mentioned it briefly here, but I think it's really important to establish those responsibilities and accountability. So even if an organization does not have a dedicated diversity and inclusion professional, it's really important to identify an individual who will monitor the progress, who will establish measurements, who will report to the leadership of the company how things are going. And research shows that diversity and inclusion efforts are more successful when the business leadership takes ownership. So if all the initiatives around DNI are driven by your HR department, the research shows that DNI work is less likely to be successful. You are less likely to really see progress. You're less likely to see 
um, the outcomes that you really intend. But if your senior leadership of the company, including the leaders of the business units and the profit centers, that's so important. If they really understand the role that they play in moving DNI forward, then real change can happen in the organization. Okay, so where would companies find information and resources to implement these guidelines, Julia? Yeah, so the new standard is ISO 30415. So you can search ISO on ISO's website. It's iso.org. And again, this standard for diversity and inclusion inside the human resource management area of the ISO standards is number 30415. And then you can determine whether you want to purchase the entire standard from the ISO website. It's exciting that one of the individuals, Renee, who assisted in writing this new standard has actually developed an assessment tool to help organizations determine how they currently compare to the standard. So we're really excited about that. And so there'll be more to come about this new assessment tool that again, one of the writers of the ISO standard has developed this. And so we at Zurich are exploring ways we can help our customers use this new standard and use that assessment to progress on their DNI journeys. So Julia, this has been great. We're almost done, but not before the lightning round. I'm gonna ask you a few questions. Answer as quickly as you can, but feel free to elaborate. Ready? Yes. One. What's the best book you've read recently? Uh, How to Fight Racism by Jamar Tisby. And that's T-I-S-B-Y? T-I-S-B-Y, that's right. Great. Two, do you have a hobby or pastime that would surprise your colleagues? Well, probably most of my colleagues don't know that I'm a singer. Today, I only sing at weddings or, you know, sing at a special event when somebody asked me to do that, but did a lot of singing and actually sang in uh, Carnegie Hall in a college acapella competition. Fantastic. Okay, bonus question. What is currently your favorite song to sing right now? Oh, goodness. Renee, I sing on my church's worship team. So right now, all I know are worship songs. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Congratulations about Carnegie Hall. Um, Three, you can spend a day anywhere in the world. Where would you go and why? You know, I really just love to be outside. So, you know, anywhere where I could be out in nature and just really enjoy, you know, the beauty in nature and and, uh, nice weather. And so that could be anywhere. Four, what's the biggest professional risk you've taken? So a few years ago, I considered whether I wanted to kind of leave the corporate world and do something that I, you know, wanted to feel like I was really having an impact So I went to work for the um, Illinois State Board of Education as the first deputy general counsel there. And so I thought I would, you know, really make a difference in education for students, but it was really hard to go to work for the government. That was my first time working outside of the corporate world and in government. So it was a risk. It was challenging. It sounds like you, you learned a lot with the experience. It is. And it's, and obviously we, we all have to work with government regulators, right, in different uh, parts of our our work. And so it's definitely good to have that experience and understand how things work on the inside of a government agency. So that was helpful. Five, in this post-pandemic world of work, what's the biggest insight you've learned about yourself since March 2020? So I have always worked in an office. I've never worked from home. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really challenging to work from home and not have the structure and just 
you know, the separation of being able to go and have the focus, you know, ability to go into the office and just have that dedicated focus time. And so I really wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it to work from <laughs> home. I thought I just was made to, to work in the office, but I've really now adapted. And, and so now I can see the positives and negatives of both, both ways of, of working. Plus, Julia, you can sing whenever you want, right? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose that's right. I can have a, a song break when I need it. That's right. And go walk outside in the nature too when I need a break. So perfect. Well, that's it. Now we're done. And Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. These have been wonderful insights. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Renee. Thanks so much for having me. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice. And accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.